Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Well, hello, and welcome to the latest edition of our podcast here at the Center for Internet Security. My name is Tony Sager. I'm going to be your host today. And our topic today is really exciting. It's the CIS Controls version 8. So a new version is a big deal for us and for everybody else in the ecosystem that follows us. So thank you for joining us today. And on the on the show, I'm joined by uh, two really amazing uh, cyber friends of mine, Randy Marchini of CISO for Virginia Tech. And Randy has been a volunteer, I think it was volunteer, I'm not quite sure, uh, ever since there was a version one. We'll talk a little bit about that. Also joined by Phyllis Lee, who's the senior director for the CIS controls. And Phyllis is uh, really been the cat herder, project leader, and everything for this version. So we'll we'll get a little inside baseball on uh, how all that went and uh, you know what's it like to build a new version of the controls. And so for background, I go back to when there was a sort of version zero or maybe version minus one of the controls. And if you've ever heard the origin story, it, it goes back to uh, just an attempt by a handful of folks uh, to look at this problem of cybersecurity, and this was probably 2008 or so, and just help people sort out what were the most important foundational things to do. An observation from our time there at the National Security Agency was that it wasn't that we lacked good uh, tools and defenses and information and people to help us. It was that uh, the typical enterprise that we dealt with, whether it was in government or not, was just overwhelmed by the problem. They're flooded with tools and marketing claims and friendly advice and consultants' opinions and you know, security wizards trying to tell them this is the most important thing to do. And our goal was to just, uh, you know, it was very modest to start with, just to put together some ideas to say, if you don't know where to begin based upon our experience, start here. And that was a two-page letter. And I never dreamed it would turn into something quite so big with with such a, a wide audience. And you know, there's a, there's an old joke. Uh, if I'd have known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. Sometimes I feel that way about the controls. That is, if I'd have known it was going to become such a big deal, maybe we would have done it a little bit differently. But in hindsight, I think it worked out perfectly well. And so so here we are about to release uh, version eight. It's a major change. We'll talk about some of the process, some of the history of this, and some of the key things that we're accomplishing here with version 8. And it's really a, a big step up in both, I think, impact, complexity, and the uh, ecosystem that has built up around the control. So really exciting to be a part of this. So, so Randy, I'm going to start off with you because, you know, the, uh, you go back to a version 1, right? That, that original two-page letter that came out of NSA, again, I never dreamed it would turn into something quite this big. And uh, it I remember when the project leader uh, that worked for me at the time leaned in the doorway, knocked on the doorframe and said, hey, uh, we just got a call from Alan Paller at SANS. He got a hold of our two-page letter and wants to know if he can build a, a project around it, basically a community service project. And I think you were one of the first people that Alan turned to, Randy. So tell me about that first conversation. What, what, was, the, what was the idea that was proposed to you or what was the, uh, the sort of the big thought that Alan had that was going to bring, uh, bring about the idea of what, what became the CIS controls? Well, it, it, it goes back uh, um, even further than that. Um, when Alan first approached me, I was working on I was working on a, a project with fans um, to that uh, was called the Top Ten Internet right. Threat, mm -hmm. and that was a, a consensus thing that came out in the late '90s. 
uh, right around 2000. And the idea was to sort of, you know, say, what were the common vectors that right. were coming in? And uh, in, in, in typical, you know, um, Allen fashion, it was a survey across uh, all the sectors of industry. And we came up with these 10 things that were internet mm -hmm. threats. And then it, it sort of evolved into, um, you know, well, now that we got the threats, and then some people said, well, you know, only 10, and <laughs> they decided, uh, and it was human space, because at that time, you know, those were the co computers right. that counted, That's right? right? <laughs> um, and so uh, they, they were mostly Unix based, but but there were 10 threats. And then um, they decided to expand it. And that evolved into what we call the top 20 internet threats, 10 of which were more Unix based and the other 10 were Windows uh, based um, along those lines. And so then from that top 20, and, and I was involved in all of those, uh, it, it started out any, as with all Alan Paller projects with me, uh, he gives me a, he gives me a phone call and he says, "Hey Randy, do you think you can do this?" And I and I always fall for it. I always say, yeah, "I think right. I can do that," you know. <laughs> so and so that's how yeah. I get you know hooked into into this thing. Um, but it, it's uh, it started off with the top twenty, and and again those were internet threats. And then the logical progression was was to you know come up with um, uh, ways to to uh, defend against those threats. Um, um, I've been in sand uh, since 1992, and um, Hal Pomerantz and I are, are the, the two original uh, SANS instructors. Um, and um, now that Hal retired, I get to claim the crown of you know, being the oldest. Um, but uh, uh, at that time, again, in the late uh, uh, 90s, uh, uh, SANS was developing a series of booklets called Step-by-Step right. -step Guides. Um, and so I helped write the, the Incident Response Step-by-Step -step Guide. Hal uh, wrote, uh, uh, pretty much wrote the Solaris step-by-step -step guide. And there was a Windows NT one and a couple other ones like that. And so from that, I think that what, what happened was, you know, people were, were starting to read those step-by-steps. And then when Alan got the, the letter from you, uh, you know, he kind of said, well, wait a minute, we've been doing this on a small scale. Can we do this yeah. on a larger scale? Uh, that's my guess as to what what his thinking was. Yeah, that, that, right. And then uh, when, when your letter came out and he read it, he, he gave me a call and said, hey, do you think you'd be interested in working on this? <laughs> I said, sure. You've heard that line before. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, yeah, it's a great point, right? Because there were a lot of threads kind of floating around in that late 90s, around the year 2000, that were, I think, all kind of connected, right? There wasn't one story, there were several. And I remember, you know, kind of surveying the marketplace at the time. So the Center for Net Security actually started around security benchmarks, right, in the year 2000, you know, with some of the same folks. Uh, you mentioned the step-by-step -step guides, the DISA STIGs were early NSA security guides, the early NIST checklist. And so this idea of sort of pulling together lots of brains, right, and also recognizing this wasn't a government thing or a private sector thing or a commercial thing. It was, it was all those things. And so how do we pull all that together? And I think another key point I'll... I'll uh, emphasize that you, you mentioned, Randy, you know, the discipline in this business and this kind of stuff that we're doing here is not about adding stuff to the list. It's about making the list smaller, right? Can we agree on not a not hundred things? Hey, we can come up with a thousand things if you just gave us enough time, right? Because everyone's got a pet rock attack or a threat or a thing that they could put on the table. But can you cut it down to the most important, right? And that's, that's the power of, you know, you have to have people who are, will agree to, uh, you know, to bring that number to something that's more manageable. Otherwise, we're just adding to the noise. So, 
So yeah, that's great. So Phyllis, you you were at, uh, at the National Security Agency at that time, and part of our groups back there, and these ideas. So, but you know, so you got the chance to to sort of see the early days of this, right? That that work that came out of security testing and red and blue teams and lab analysis and all that kind of stuff. And you know, this idea of a focus is actually kind of counter to the, a lot of government thinking, right? Back then, it was. It was we could produce if we just produce more vulnerabilities, people would get really smart and they would know what to do. Uh, but I realized that didn't actually happen. So tell me a little bit about kind of your your background and your experience in looking at these kinds of problems and this this translation into action. Yeah, I worked um, at the NSA for twenty five years and um, I loved it there and I learned a lot and it was we we love to find vulnerabilities because software has lots of vulnerabilities and we were like yes we found another and um and then you know you do kind of reach that point in your career where you say okay um as the wise tony sager once said if you want to secure the world vulnerability by vulnerability it's like trying to empty the sea one teaspoon at a time right and it's like yeah it's yeah. like you know um it has to scale. It has to be practical. I don't know how many times um, a network got hacked and we'd say, well, if they only listened to what we said, mm -hmm. if they only did what we told them to. Right. Right. And, um, you know, we um, lived in our ivory tower a bit. And so what I really love about the controls is um, they are practical. They are achievable. We want to make them measurable. It's we don't want them to be aspirational. Um, and it's not we're going to counter every new threat that comes our way is, but it's let's do these things, um, these practical, achievable things. Mm -hmm. And um, it's going to get you really, really far. And so um, that's what I really love about controls. You know, it's like, how is it that I want to make a difference? How is it that we can make a difference and, you know, um, help so many organizations? Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I've often said that the. Um, Cybersecurity right, is, a, is a classic case of perfection is the enemy of the good. And we've been holding out for perfection since, you know, since I started in the 70s, right? We'll build mathematically verifiable, blah, 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 you know, the Binford 9000, et cetera. But, you know, it, it never really happened that way. And, you know, doggone human beings, they make decisions for all kinds of reasons that have really not much to do with security, right? For economic reasons and, you know, what the boss cares about and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so recognizing the complexity of this and, and not to trivialize security, right? It's, it's important to, to do a good job with it. At the same time, if you try to get perfect, you never get there. So tell me a little bit about sort of this, this version eight thinking, though, though, you know, the sort of, I think the, 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 the term that we use in, with the team is guiding principles, right? The things that really drive you to remind you to, to do all these things that you and Randy talked about, right? Really focus, don't try to boil the ocean. You know, what are the, the sort of bedrock principles that were really uh, the, the way you guided discussions for version eight? Yeah, sure. So um, what I really like about, uh, you know, kind of like these guiding principles and the, and the goals is that um, they don't have to change over time. They just kind mm -hmm. of mature over time, right? And so, of course, the guiding principles are, you know, originated by Tony that were written several years ago, but they're still relevant for today. But perhaps context changes and we've updated them, you know, a little bit like this idea of being achievable. We want to be practical. We want it to be we want it to make sense. We want it to be something that organizations, um, you know, can do and implement on their networks while also um, accommodating how they're managed today, how things are governed today. Are we using cloud? Are we not using cloud, et cetera? Mm -hmm. um, we know that organizations today 
are using the controls to show compliance against other frameworks. So we have to make sure that what we write down also includes how measurable it is, right? So that organizations know what it means to successfully implement um, a control or a supporting safeguard. And we also wanna make it um, relevant. And so what I mean by relevant is we wanna keep up with technology, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, we heard from you, our end organizations that, hey, um, we're, we're moving to cloud. We have organization, we have, you know, people that are working from home. We think it's time for you to update the document to include those. So yeah, and PS, we just happened to be in a pandemic where we did see a big movement towards cloud as well as work from home. So it was timely, but you know, um, we always have to listen to the feedback and keep up with technology and say, hey, um, we've reached that tipping point. We need to um, insert these or include these technologies within the within the main document. And, you know, we also want to make those choices defensible and, and back it by data, meaning, you know, everything that we write down, you know, we talk about them being critical security controls. There are so many good things that people can do on their networks, right? So many things. Um, but, you know, we want to kind of have a tear line. What is it that organizations really should implement on their networks that um, will either defend against a real world attack or threat, or perhaps detect against um, a real world threat or attack. And so um, I really like that we have those guiding principles and it really does force the group and uh, to focus. Like you said, it's hard, you know, you have a group of experts, they all have their, um, come from different communities. They all have their own um, biases and you just have to kind of keep them focused and say, okay, let's agree to do these things. And they all sound really good. Mm -hmm. you, you can't argue with them. And we all agree and then we right. can move forward. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you, you hit that. Uh, you know, security is full of like good things to do, right? There, you, you can sort of explain anything. You can look at any control catalog and say, well, there's a reason why it's in there, but, but you can't do them all. You know, you're just overwhelmed by the problem. So, you know, Randy takes back to the sort of early days of this, the earliest version. So you, you gave the example of you sort of got the focus first on threats, right? Okay, there's an infinite variety of attacks and possibilities out there, but let's try to bring it down to something more manageable, right? The things that we should really care about. The top 10, you know, was kind of the, the number. And then this, this translation into action. You know, what do I actually do about it? Can you tell me a little bit about sort of the thinking there and the feedback and, you know, kind of the opinions or the things that were hard to get people to agree to in those early days? Uh, yeah, it was hard to agree. That was always a, everything, <laughs> everything there. But I, I think, um, you know, I, I was part of the team that developed the original CIS benchmarks uh, for, right. uh, for Solaris, for AIX, for HPUX um, and Windows NT. And, and that was truly a, a you know one of these things where they got you know people from 300 different organizations all over the place all over the world and and it started off with them submitting uh, the question was simple do you have a, a security configuration checklist and can you send it to us and then uh you know taking a look at all these checklists that came in uh there, we noticed that there was a bunch of things that were in common across all of them and, and that's where, you know, we started off and said, well, look, if this is across everybody's, let's start with this, this you know, uh, uh, subset here. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, the whole idea behind the benchmarks, because, you know, I, I spent most of my career as an IBM systems programmer. I'm, I'm like you, Tony. I go back to the 70s. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I forgot to bring my deck of cards that I have in my office when I like to show students, you know, what's more, what it really was like. Um, 
But, uh, uh, you know, uh, I was a sysadmin. I was a Unix sysadmin. I was a VAC sysadmin for, you know, 25 or 30 years. And, um, you know, we want a checklist. If you're going to get make me do something, give me these items and I can run the Unix commands to, to, to you know, do that. And, and so, uh, you know, we started off with that, that type of a, of a benchmarking process. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, the early benchmarks. And, and uh, Hal and a, a bunch of other people that were in the group, they made and they pushed for, and I'm glad they did. They said, we don't want to just say, you know, um, make sure your message of the day is, is, is uh, you know, uh, uh, complete. But here's the actual command to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they went out and they, they looked up the commands themselves. They put those commands in the, in the benchmark documents so that, you know, if somebody, it, it was a little bit of chipping away. You, you put yourself in the, in the mindset of a sysadmin. You're going to make me do that. That's extra work. Okay. But wait a minute. Uh, I, well, you're telling me to do this, but I'm going to have to research the command to, to do that. Oh, wait, it's there. Okay. <clears throat> now you're going to make me, you know, create, uh, I, I'm going to have to build a script to do this. But wait, the command is syntactically correct, so I can cut it out of the document and paste it into a file. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it, it was designed that way by sysadmins, knowing what the sysadmin tricks were to not do something. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. You have to play to the psychology of yeah. implementation, right? And, and so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a, you know, the, and this, there's a, uh, when I talk about security frameworks, right, I, yeah. I say they range from the cosmic to the microscopic you know, the things that are, you know, do good things and write me a paper that said you did good things down to the, you know, turn on this registry key to this value, right? Exactly. And everything right. in between. And so part of the, I think the, the art here is to be prescriptive without being sort of restrictive. <laughs> you right. know, that is right. make it clear what you want done, yet you don't want to sort of over-specify because then you're, then you're, you're so narrowly, you know, technology dependent, machine specific, you know, whatever the, the, the constriction is there. And so, so thinking about that, and I think, you know, the experience that you brought, right? So again, the, Phyllis and I grew up, you know, among security wizards who, you know, there's no better job than the pontificating about what other people should do, but having no responsibility to do it. And oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but you grew up in the, okay, all these, you know, smart people told me what to do, but they have no idea this is not practical, right? Well, or, you know, how much work it will take to actually figure this out and implement it. And so yeah, you had to kind of live that trade off in those early days. The way I became a security expert was I just got hacked. I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you know, I, and that's how I fell into cybersecurity. My server, my Solaris server got hacked. Yeah. It took us two and a half months to recover from it. And, you know, number one principle of sysadmin is to be lazy about things. And we said, <laughs> you don't want to, we don't want to do this again. So how did they get in and how can we avoid more work in the future? That's uh, right. Nothing like a little pain to get you, inspire you to it, do something. You know, it, it, it really works. Phyllis brought up a great point, though, with, with respect to the controls, this mapping to the various standards now, I, for, from my standpoint, when I go and talk to my peers in, in the edu world uh, and, and the state government world, is, you know, uh, like they said, I've got to follow this, this, this standard, you know, whether it's uh, Virginia has a SEC 501 standard or, or you know, the NIST 800-53. Um, but that mapping of those standard elements in, you know, back to a control, um, that really did a lot to, to sort of remove that barrier of, uh, you know, that adoption barrier of, of, well, I don't want to use this thing because how does that help me, you know, meet this uh, federal requirement or the state requirement? And I think that's, right. that's one thing that, that really, really helped uh, and helps with, with getting people to, to buy into using the controls as that bridge between 
you know, the high level prescriptive NSA thing and, and, the, and the rubber meets the road, you know. Uh, uh, right. That is an interesting point. You know, I, uh, you know, I said we must love security frameworks. They must be great because we have so many of them. Right. And it's like, why do we have all these things? And, you know, my my experience says, and I think Phyllis would agree. Right. You, you gave an example, Randy. Hey, everyone send me your benchmark. Well, and it turns out at the 80 percent plus level, they're basically the same thing. Right. Yep. So why do we have to find that out after the fact? Right. You know, if we're going to kind of get to that point, why don't we share labor and get to there early? I mean, I think that's one of the, you know, the principles that we think about at CIS. Right. You know, we you know, I, I say we often we all grew up in what I call the uh, special snowflake school of security, right? We're all special and unique, and oh, you couldn't possibly do what those idiots down the hall are doing because you're special, right? But if you actually look at it, and if, like when when NT came out, Windows NT or 2000, you know, within a year or so, maybe two years, the security community's opinions about like reasonably safe ways to configure it had pretty well coalesced down to the 80, 90 percent level, right? If you got any, I think if you grabbed any six experts who knew what they were talking about and said, come up with a benchmark, you'd come up 80, 90 percent the same, whether they were NSA or DISA or, you know, academic or whatever. And so the idea there is there's there's more to be gained. Right. We're not all special. We have a core set of things that really, I think, are in common. Yeah. I mean, Virginia Tech has some unique things to deal with. And, you know, I'm sure you could tell me endlessly about the, the challenges there. But if you focus on the difference, you never make much progress. Right because you're just drowning in the, in the details. I think it's one way to think about. It. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things that I've seen, you know, after, after 30 years of cybersecurity stuff is, uh, I've said this before, um, if you look at what hackers are really after, it, it, they do three things, and two of them involve your data. You know, one is I wanna steal your data and I wanna use it for my purposes. The other one is I wanna destroy your data and keep you from using it. And the third one is I want to use your machines to attack other people's sites to get their data, uh, you know, and, and when it boils down to those three things, then then the controls, the benchmarks, all of these things really, you know, give you uh, the answer to the question of why am I doing this? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, it is a complicated problem. I mean, let's not there's a lot of technology. Bad guys are clever. That's how they make their living. Right. So they're not giving up. At the same time, it's easy to overcomplicate the problem from the solution side, right? To overthink it, to have too many sort of requirements and frameworks and what ifs, and maybe this could happen and, you know, complicated scenarios and not, not get focused on the basics. And so I think that's, that's part of what we try to do at CIS is to help people, you know, not get overwhelmed, but get started. You know, what is the foundation for defense, right? And there are, some, there are clearly some core things that need to get done. Phyllis, about the version eight process. So, so you were the chief cat herder organizer and so forth. So, so having, you know, Randy was there in the early days, I was at version zero and I, and I've done, you know, led several versions after I retired. So you you've now inherited the mantle, mantle of leadership here. So tell me about the, the process part of this, right? The volunteers, the conversations and sort of how you manage that. And, um, and I'll, and I'll tell you a little bit after you tell me that. that so this is the, the first version I've get, gotten to observe, you know, after retirement. So we can talk a little bit about sort of what, what's different. But tell me about, you know, your, your, your leadership of the team and the, of the process itself. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as you all know, everything that we do here in Security Best Practices is um, through our volunteers as well as consensus-based, right? And so, um, you know, Randy, you said, you know, uh, you're, you like the controls because we map to other frameworks. I'm always amazed 
by the fact that um, the controls are so widely adopted, not just in the U.S., um, but across the world. And there's, you know, we're not a mandatory regulatory framework. While we are gaining some traction around legislation within the states, I'm just like, wow, we're we're not NIST, we're not ISO, you know. And so I'm always impressed by that. And I'm equally impressed by the fact that um, we attract amazing volunteers like you, Randy, like other folks that came into the panel. So when we created the editorial panel, the, the core group that created the controls, we wanted to make sure we had representation from the different verticals as well as representation from small organizations to large organizations. And, um, you know, we agreed on the guiding principles and we would have conversations. Randy would say, mm, I'm sorry, I manage students. You can't expect me to wipe their devices. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not going to work out, right? You know, where there's someone's like, I have all corporate IT and done it, you know, if something gets out of my control, I'm wiping that device, right? And so um, it's that great kind of conversation and, and you have to say, okay, um, you know, what is it that's reasonable to do um, that everyone can kind of agree on? Like, you know, um, Tony has said in the past, consensus does not mean 100% of the people agree, right? What it does mean is that um, we come to an agreement where not everybody is 100% happy, right? And um, throughout the course, it took, you know, nine months to create the document. Um, throughout the course of creating that document, we had to revisit the principles. We had to talk about, we want to make these defensible. We want them practical and achievable and just keep on reminding the group. And, and everyone, you know, for the most part was on board. I have to say the hours that everyone volunteered was amazing. And the conversations we had were great. Uh, representatives from, you know, like I said, the different kinds of organizations and, um, you know, it, actually, I thought it was one of the best experiences I've ever had because everyone wanted to be there. No one was told to be there. It was not another duty as assigned. It was a, yeah, let's just do some outreach. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, okay. I'd love to work on that. So, um, you know, that was great. That's totally different from my NSA days. <laughs> <laughs> no secrets, no secrets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that that uh, the the spirit of it, right, is is something that sort of brings, you know, certain uh, personality type together, right. In addition to the technical skills that that people brought, and sometimes when I talk about the controls, I said, you know, you can benefit from the work that people that you you wish you could hire but you can't find, and if you could find them, you couldn't afford them, right. There's just and the the quality of uh, uh, the, the the technical work that people bring as well as their attitude, right. There's a, sort of a bigger thing to be done here. And so it's not a matter of sort of standing on the mountain with a stone tablet and saying, you know, this is the way you do things. It's that discussion. And those discussions could be intense, right, Phyllis? There were some that were very, um, you know, heartfelt, right? Every, everyone brought some experience to it. And I think, so I think sorting that out is really important And because these are the real life questions that, that people have to deal with every day, right? And so having the, these multiple perspectives was, was wonderful. So Randy, you came up sort of through the sysadmin route and then, you know, you know, hold a major uh, security job at a major institution here. But tell me a little bit about sort of the practical implications for you as a guy who's got to kind of make this work, you know, and you and you work in the, you know, I always said uh, universities were BYOD before it was cool. You know, it was just the, when you describe the work that you have to deal with and the between the academic personalities, the students, you know, the uh, the interlock, right, the, the, the connection to the rest of the world of research, for example, and sort of how, how do you look at some of the trade-offs there and the implications for the ideas that you brought to the controls? 
Well, um, you know, the, the thing that, that uh, I, I always, it used to bother me when people say, oh, you work at a university, you have no concept of what the real world does. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, oh, no, you, you have no concept of what the real world does. I, I see the real world every day. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't agree with when people say we're not uh, the same as, uh, as the corporate world. We are. I mean, we are a corporation. We market information. We market knowledge. You know, you compete for customers, we compete for students. You have fancy, you know, um, uh, uh, PR machines and TV commercials and stuff like that. And universities have football teams. So it, it's all about, you know, name recognition. Um, but the three main processes, you know, that we have, we have an administrative process, which is the, the, the business processes that run any organization, payroll, HR, you know, uh, purchasing, all of those things. Everybody's got that that you know in their organization. That security model is closer to what we would call a traditional you know a corporate security model. The instructional side of the house, which is all the course management, classrooms, you know that type of stuff, um, in our world and, and a lot of the universities uh, and colleges uh, world, um, that's a BYOD. You know, but as as you said, we've been doing BYOD since 1984, so it's not. It's not a big deal, you know, when people run around going, oh, my God, the world's going to explode because everybody owns their computers. No, it's not going to happen, you know. Um, but the, the security model there is that of an ISP. I can't tell you what you what software you sh can have on your individually owned machine. I can say you must be this tall to play on my network. But but in terms of software that's on there, no, I, I mean, it's beyond my control. You know, admin privilege is, is another one, right? Uh, we have 40,000 machines where people own their own admin privilege and the world mm -hmm. hasn't collapsed as, as you know, mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> um, so the, the model is that of an ISP. Um, and then the research, uh, you know, we're the largest research university in Virginia. Um, and it's a combination of the other two. Uh, the corporate side, because we have to manage hundreds of millions of dollars of grants, money, uh, intellectual property, you know, uh, patents that come out of that research, that's that's money for both the, the inventors and, and the institution. Um, so, you know, we have that protection of data, that intellectual property, that's one big thing. And then the hybrid side of it is, you know, they're buying equipment, a lot of data acquisition equipment for the last 10 years or, or more uh, has come, uh, you know, internet capable, if you will. You know, uh, you hook it up to the net and then you can monitor it from a, an app on your laptop or your phone. Uh, and so that security model is a combination of the other two. So the challenge that we have in any university is how do we blend those three requirements into something that's workable? And this is really where the, where the security controls helped me, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, figure out and design an architecture, uh, you know, to, to uh, address these issues. Um, where I, I like to poke at my counterparts, you know, the other CISOs in the commercial world and in the government world is, and this was, you know, before the pandemic. Now, now with pandemic, I'm like, work from home. <laughs> We've been doing that for, you know, for good, for good million years. Work from dorm. <laughs> right, work from dorm, work from, from airport, you know, work from wherever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there was, there was a quote that said um, from a GCN magazine, this guy, I, I can't remember, Patrick something. Um, but he said, we have to design our security architectures basically on the premise that we have to come up with something that allows a user to get to their data from anywhere in the world. 
and their data literally can be stored anywhere in the world, which you know kind of pulls that whole cloud model in, into our process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Phyllis, yeah, I know you had something to add. All right, so I want to say, you know, um, hearing Randy talk is bringing back memories of the editorial <laughs> panel. But I mean, I have to say, I really appreciated Randy pushing back um, because yes, it made right. us um, more clearly define what we were talking about. Right. This is the first time in the controls that we actually have a glossary because we had to be clear about the terms mm -hmm. of what does BYOD mean? What is it to be an enterprise controlled device? What is, and, and I think, you know, we kind of hit that tipping point where um, <clears throat> we couldn't say, no, Randy, that's just your environment, yeah. right? Everyone had to say, you know what, you're right. We're, you know, people's data is everywhere now. It, yeah. We just kind of hit that tipping point, probably because of the pandemic, that we were going to acknowledge that um, this model of not having control of your home devices, people um, going to cloud, you know, people are doing things that normally enterprises actually would not want them to do. And so how is yeah. it? Um, yeah, in that, in, in, in the way things are um, working today, we can actually help with that. Now, of course, there's the sticklers who are like, you know, it's enterprise device. So, um, but, you know, I really appreciated that because we had to be very clear, even amongst the team. Um, Tony, I know you're in some mm -hmm. conversations where right. we're like, okay, let's, what does this mean? Let's draw this picture so we could be clear in our guidance. Yeah, yeah I think that's exactly that right. Go ahead, yeah, I, I think it was reflected in the fact that we move data to be the third, you know, the third eye uh, mm -hmm. control, so to speak. Um, no, that's exactly right. Then this, you know, we're, for the audience, we're kind of replaying some of the discussion that we had there. And, you know, in some sense, I, I hate to admit it, but Randy may have been a couple decades ahead of the rest of us. And he must have known this pandemic was coming and the data would be like all over the world. But, you know, it really did accelerate the trend here, right? That was already in motion around work from home, around more flexibility and access to corporate resources from all over. And so, you know, that sort of pulling and the standard security answer, you know, when I grew up with it, like, well, you can't do that because it's not safe. But now you look at the real world and you go, but this is this is reality. And so what's the best we can do under the conditions that we have, as opposed to wishing we could mandate everyone behave this way or the world acted that way. And so these are, you know, th these are the real trade-offs that are part and parcel of the discussion about what's the best advice that we can give from CIS. And again, it's not about standing on the hill and you know, telling everybody that they're wrong. It's about helping people survive, right? You know, how can we conduct business? How can we educate students? How we, can we conduct research and do it in a responsible way, not a perfect way, but in a responsible way. And so that those are, you know, I think they're uh, really reflective of the kind of discussions that we had, uh, you know, during all that. Uh, Phyllis, I, I wanted to uh, ask you to talk a little bit about also this this notion. So the the tagline that we we use internally was it's not about the list, right? So at the end of the day, we produce a document, you know, that has a list of things, and that and that's great. But you know, you you hinted earlier about you know when we recommend something, we know it's going to be implemented. We know it's going to be measured. We know it's going to get built into tools and sort of thinking through that whole process to support the kind of things that Randy talked about. Could you, could you, you know, help the audience sort of get a little insight into this sort of thinking about, you know, not about the best words in the list, but about the sort of whole life cycle that goes with it? Yeah, sure. So, you know, when we created the controls, uh, you know, we, we collect a lot of feedback mm -hmm. from organizations, yeah. right? And so, you know, some of the feedback was, but why should I do this first? Or what's, you know, we need more prioritization. And so that's how the implementation groups came about. Um, you know, we didn't realize that organizations 
were doing control one and one dot one, one dot two, one dot three before they got to control two. By the time you get to backup and recovery, control ten. I mean, like you might be a year, year and a half into your program, and so you know we would, we didn't want to do that. So um, you know we wanted to prioritize another layer with implementation groups, um, but we also knew that um, it couldn't just be an arbitrary choice, right? And so when we say it's not about the list, we also wanted to back those choices by data. And we reached the point where we could um, uh, look at something like um, a, you know, a widely well-respected threat report like Verizon Data Breach Report mm -hmm. and um, say, what are the top five attacks? And you know, we created a community defense model to say, okay, here are the top five attacks implementation group one, these 43 safeguards for version 7.1 can defend against this top five attack. So for version eight, we wanna do the same thing. We wanna back our choices and say, yep, we did this work for you. Implementation group one is going to defend against the top attacks again for version eight. Um, we heard from you, you guys want to um, be able to measure how well are you implementing the controls so we have our control self-assessment tool where you can self-assess against that. That'll be updated um, to support controls version eight, as well as um, our controls assessment specification. We want to enable the market to actually do that measurement on your behalf mm -hmm. in an automated way as possible. So if you have some tools already running on your network, hopefully, you know, they also will be um, able to help with your um, measuring of how well you've implemented the controls. And finally, you know, like, um, Randy says, we have the mappings. That is very widely popular. Organizations want to know, well, I'm, I'm starting with controls. We like this prescriptive and prioritized list. I want to know, did I meet ISO, HIPAA, you know, all these other um, frameworks, NIST CSF, of course. And so we're updating those mappings as well so different organizations can leverage that once they move to controls version 8. So we realize that um, version 8 is supporting organizations in multiple ways, and we want to make sure that um, organizations can hit the ground running. Yeah, so that's you know that that, that sort of you know, holistic look right at the controls, right? It's not about the document; it's about all these practical problems that people will have, everything from learning to tooling, etc. So that's really is, a, I think, a much more comprehensive approach than we were able to pull together in prior versions. Randy, any any thoughts? I think you had something. Well, yeah, one, one thing I was going to add to what Phyllis just said is um, in terms of the mappings, it's not just a U.S. standard. There's a Canadian uh, standard. There is the U.K. Uh, standard. There's uh, the Saudi Arabian, uh, Singapore. So the uh, other countries are starting to contribute their national standards and, and we're map, starting to map those into the uh, critical security control frameworks yeah. as well. I think that's that's a in effect a commitment that Phyllis and team have made, right? So our view is, hey, this is this is the world. It's complicated. There are going to be national standards. There's going to be sector specific, et cetera, et cetera. And so, rather than make that problem worse for people, we commit from CIS to mapping, you know, provide an authoritative map from our work to other people's work, and that way you don't have to do it or pay someone else to do it or make something up and then the next auditor that comes in decides they didn't like what you did so they you know they have their own opinion you know the the, the goal is to simplify this problem for people not complicate it right by having sort of all these these challenges here so i think that's that's really important and and so, you know when phyllis is describing the the process of looking at the Verizon report and you know the community defense model and so forth it takes you back to where the uh, you talked about version 1 randy right let's you know, at that time, we did, there, were, there weren't things like the MITRE ATT&CK framework and so forth, or these big authoritative summaries like the Verizon Data Bridge report. 
but in some sense, it's the same spirit, right? Pull, you know, but you were pulling data out of people's heads, their experience, their judgment, and sort of capturing it narratively. And what uh, the version eight team has done, I think, is, is take more a more rigorous look at this, right? To say, well, we do have summaries. You know, it still surprises me. I don't know about you, you Randy, but like all the great work that the Verizon and other companies do, right? To collect from their business model all this great data, analyze it, summarize it, trend it, and so forth. And then they give it away. Like, whoa, my gosh, you know, in the government, like, what, what do you mean they give it away? But, uh, you know, and yeah, some of it's marketing, of course. But, you know, they have really serious data scientists, right? They have a, a whole data model underneath the hood that allows the kind of analysis that we really need to, so we can make rational decisions, you know, about what do I need to do about it, right? What is the real problem I'm trying to solve? And therefore, what are my options to solve it? Tell me a little bit, Randy, about your uh, experience. So you're one of the few people on the team that has taught the, the controls, right, to a countless number of audiences. And tell us about, like, what are people looking for when they come to take a class in it? Or what, you know, what's, what's are they sort of beginners at it? Are they looking for implementation help? Or are they looking for overviews? Or what, you know, what's your experience around the teaching part of this? So the, the teaching part, of course, is through SANS. Um, mm -hmm. And they have a 20 critical control security course. Um, the, the types of students that I've seen in the last decade or so that I've been teaching this class, um, they range everywhere from the, the highly skilled down in the, in the weeds, you know, geek types to yeah. uh, auditors, CISOs, CIOs, uh, you know, um, uh, that, that type of, of, of knowledge base. Um, the, the number one question they ask me is, how long is it going to take to do this? Mm -hmm. And uh, based on my experience, and Phyllis, you hit it right on the, on the head there. Um, you know, uh, we started off with, with 1.1 and 1.2 and 1.3, you know, and, and uh, we sort of split it up a little bit. Okay, you take controls 1 through 3, you take controls 4 through 5, you know, that type of stuff. But we started go kind of going in that in that progression. We did make a skip, you know, uh, 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 we moved to data and, and application security first. Um, but I tell people, I said, look, um, this is a this is a three to five year project to fully implement the 20 critical controls. It's not the technical stuff that's going to get you. The the biggest challenge that we had at, at Virginia Tech, and and after talking to some of my students uh, who've gone through the class, the biggest challenge there was was basically finding out who in my organization had the data that I needed uh, to, <laughs> okay. to do the control. Uh, you know, to get to, to figure out where we were with the control. Oh, inventory of of hardware. Uh, well, let's see. The networking group, that's one source, but um, I have to go to purchasing to see, okay, what, what's university owned, <laughs> right? Um, and then uh, I've got, you know, so I have to go to our property inventory, our property management group, the, you know, the people that slap your little barcode stickers on there. I had to go to purchasing to see who bought the stuff so that I could assign an owner to the device. So you wind up going to all of these, you know, entities within the corporation or the organization to get the, to find out who has the information. And then, then the po politics come in because I come in as a CISO and I said, hey, Phyllis, um, you know, can I get a copy of, of, the, of your network inventory database? And you're like, uh, why do you want to know? You know, you immediately <laughs> think something's wrong. Um, uh -huh. And it took me a while to learn to, to frame the question correctly, because I would say, well, I know you have this database. And what that translated in their head was, I want access to the database. And I said, no, I want a copy of your database. I don't want, because they were afraid that I was going to go in and change things hmm. and mess things up. 
So there's a lot of that politicking, and sometimes it, it has to go up, you know, all the way up to the president's level uh, or the CEO's level, so that you know, because one VP says, "Well, I outrank you," and I go, "Well, no, you don't," but okay, you know, let's let's go that route. Um, so the challenge was finding where who had it, finding what form it was in, and then finding out can I get access to it when I need it. Um, so, so those are the those are the big delay factors when you're implementing any of the. I mean, pick a control, uh, you know, um, account management. Okay, who in your organization does account management? Well, is it your help desk? Is it you know, uh, Tony, you're my boss, so you signed a form that authorizes me to get an account, which then goes that form goes over to Phyllis, who's the identity management, right. uh, you know, head of the corporation who has to sign off on it. And then that's in one database and another database and so on and so forth. So those are the big challenges that 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 you know I I, I tell students uh, this is what to expect. Um, we did have one uh, uh, one customer one time that they they got the from their board. They said you're going to implement the 20 critical controls in in uh, 15 months, and. I, I don't know if they did or not, but, but I think they came. I was just about to say, do you have their email address? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to talk to them. <laughs> so so but I, I haven't heard from them in a while. So they're busy. They're busy. Yeah, yeah they're busy. Um, but but it, yeah. it reminds us all of like, you know, th these are challenging problems, right? Especially in a big, yeah. complicated, distributed you know, uh, computing enterprise like a university in that there's no magic solution, right? You're not buying a thing. To solve this problem, you're not training, you know, a, a select group of people to solve this problem. You're really putting in place uh, technical um, measures, but also management processes, right? Administrative controls. I mean, this, in, you know, this is about good management, right? Not about magic. And so that's something that's often lost on people is that you know because people want to solve this problem, but you know we don't. There's a lot of problems in life we don't solve. We learn to manage them. Right. We, we build visibility in, we build in control, we build in you know, a way to detect when things go wrong and, and corrective measures. But we don't make the problem go away. We, we learn to manage it. Right. And so that's it's important to remember that, that that's uh, a big part of this cybersecurity business. By the way, we don't make problems in safety go away either or public health. Right? We learn to manage those right? and with, a, with a whole mix of uh, a range of tools. Yeah. So, so, Phyllis, we're, uh, we're about to hit release point here with version eight. Very exciting. And, uh, you know, but, but what, so what do you, what do you do next? Put your feet up for a couple of years and uh, wait for the next versions or what's next on the horizon for you and the team? So just so you know, you know, like I say, we're always getting feedback. Mm -hmm. I mean, we already started our confluence page for controls version 8.1. Okay. <laughs> so we're always evolving everything. Yeah. So, you know, I would say that, um, you know, we, we often get requests for different kinds of guides. We call them companion guides. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, people have asked us, what about privacy? You know, Randy's talking about data. More and more the focus is on data. That is why that was moved up to control three, right? Um, because follow the data. And so, you know, there's a lot of legislation around data. We're going to look at data privacy. Um, you know, we're going to look at, you know, the different kinds of architectures. People have asked us about zero trust. And, and so, you know, we are continually looking at, um, or getting the feedback from different organizations on, hey, we want, do you have guidance on this? Do you have, and so, you know, please give us your feedback because we take it seriously and then we prioritize based on that. Mm -hmm. Additionally, um, across SVP, we want to unify and simplify our guidance, right? So um, we talk about the economic optimization 
of our best practices. And one of the first things we did towards this end was create a living off the land attack um, report on RDP. Right. That actually has been very popular, especially given in this environment. Um, you know, it's easy to say turn off RDP, but obviously no one's really listening because right. how many times do you do you see in the news? RDP is the number one reason why people get into networks, right? And so, um, you know, we felt strongly, let's not just say turn off RDP. Let's look at our configuration guides. Let's look at the safeguards within mm -hmm. the controls and say, how is it that you could best implement or lock down RDP? Um, our next report on that is going to be on SMB. Right. And um, we'll be releasing other ones on Winnie and PowerShell. Mm -hmm. So we really are trying to provide that practical guidance. Um, we know organizations don't have unlimited resources, and so we wanna we wanna provide you know that kind of economic optimization of all the security best practices, right. and you're, not just say implement a guide here or implement a benchmark. Here are these specific configuration settings. And, and I, I remind people there's you know there there's no. Um, magic building or, or mystical uh, think tank that's dreaming these things up, right? Almost every thing you have team, people working on is feedback, is based upon feedback from adopters. You know, people who are struggling with problems, like, uh, and, and what should I do about it? So, the, you know, people should bring those ideas, right? Find ways to get to cisecurity.org. And, uh, you know, we're always looking for the ideas. And, 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 you know, there's nothing better than someone who brings a problem with some ideas about what to do with it. Then they become like Randy. They, they, they get ensnared as a volunteer and they wind up, you know, really exactly. uh, banding together with others who are struggling with the same problem. I mean, that's that's part of this. We're not all special snowflakes, right? I anyone who is managing IT in this environment is struggling with, you know, lots of the same problems. And the, the question is, how can we uh, band people together to learn from each other? And I think that's a big part of this, right? There's no magical roadmap except to the extent that people bring us ideas and that you, you choose to work on them. I mean, that just reminded me, I was giving a webinar and someone on the panel said, you know, I really love the controls, but how come you don't have anything on recovery? Recovery is so oh, important. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, that that's a great point, but that's not, you know, kind of like that's not the focus of the controls. The aftermath, right. it really is on these defensive mm -hmm. measures to prevent and mm -hmm. detect. But I think that's great feedback. Would you like to work <laughs> on, on Well that played, well played. I'm happy to convene that community. Yes. I love it when we get criticism on the controls because I'm like, okay, you know what? Have we reached the point where we need to we need to fill that gap? Let's fill that mm -hmm. gap. Um, and I'll work with you. And you know, I, like you said, I ensnared him. I have his name. I have his email address. Yeah. And um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make that happen. Yeah, that's that's one of the things also that you know, again the uh, you know CIS right. You're, People can reach you, <laughs> you know, that is, again, there's no mystery giant organization, right? It's a relatively small company with this big footprint. And so the, the opportunity to speak directly with the principals, to suggest ideas, to become part of a team, you know, and we, we manage, you know, pretty large volunteer army around these projects. Uh, Randy, any, anything you want to add? Well, I, I was going to say the companion guides that Phyllis yeah. mentioned, those are really, really helpful. And, and um, you know, okay. the SAN students that I've, that I've talked to, um, they use that a lot, you know. I've got mobile. Oh, well, let me look up the mobile companion guide. And that helps me figure out which controls I should focus on. Okay. Or what about IoT? Well, there's an IoT companion guide. And that gives me a starting point for which controls to focus on. So I, I think uh, the, the companion guides for me um, uh, have been a really, really valuable uh, addition to, the, to how to implement 
you know, the, the actual controls themselves. Yeah, super. Thanks, Randy. I'm sure Phil's just kind of fine to hear it because she's always trying to, you know, pull together the best work plan, right, that, that answers uh, people's yeah. uh, questions. Yeah. So, so, so it sounds like, uh, Randy, Phyllis has not scared you away for version 8.1 or 9 or whatever's next. So we hope we get to keep you in the family to uh, continue to work on this. I said, this is, this is every day, right? This is real world for you, sorting this kind of thing out. So, you know, I can't tell you how much uh, we all at CIS appreciate, you know, your work as a volunteer. And, and there are others like you, right? The people that are just extraordinary folks solving really hard problems every day. And you know, finding ways to share their expertise with a you know, really a worldwide community. Uh, yeah, there, there are a lot smarter people than I am that were on this team. It was great talking. Well, Randy, to you you, you uh, carried your weight, no no question. So uh, I'm gonna yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. Randy's just being modest. Yeah, exactly. No, no, he I we, you know, the discussions are, are sort of private, but I mean, there's no question. Randy's insight uh, helped make some significant input and some changes to the way we thought about some of these problems. So really. Really amazing. And as you said, you get, get a chance to, to swap ideas with some amazing people, right? People who bring really diverse experience and really uh, interesting insight into the into problems. And then, But really all focused on some constructive output, right? What are we going to actually recommend? It's great to pontificate and swap ideas, but at the end of the day, if you can't uh, tighten it up into something that's going to go out, you know, really to the world as a recommendation, then we really, we've just had a nice conversation. So I, th I think that's a big part of what we're doing. So last thoughts here, uh, a lightning round for my participants. Thank you so much. Randy, any last thought you want to leave the audience with or any last uh, idea or uh, uh, something you didn't I, I bring up? You'll find the controls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you'll find the controls will help you map uh, and, and meet, you know, uh, your, your, the framework requirements that are particular to the institution. And the companion guides are a great, uh, you know, uh, resource to help you with that as well. Super. Yeah, thanks, Randy. Thanks for all you've done for the for the community. Really appreciate it. Phyllis, any last thought from you? Um, I just also want to personally thank Randy again. Um, don't let him fool you. He was one of the main contributors. Sure. My team reached out to him out of band, and he was always available. Um, he was very valuable to the team, so thank you. I will say also, I think I neglected to mention, we are also updating those companion guides mobile and cloud, even though they're inserted into the main document, it talks about governance, you know, for cloud, the different cloud models, as well as, you know, how, how you can implement the controls using an MDM. And then of course, IOT and other, and other guides that have been downloaded a lot will be updated yeah. for version eight. So. No, it's, it's, Thank it's you. been great, Phyllis. And, uh, and uh, so as, as a guy who goes back to maybe version zero or maybe minus one, I forget what we called it, and Randy back to version one. You know, the, uh, it is just a really a great pleasure to watch the, the development of version eight. You know, the, the, the ideas, the, the company, the community has really matured around this sort of basic notion of what CIS does and the role of the CIS controls and their importance to so many enterprises out there. It's really uh, quite humbling, but also really an honor to be a part of it and to watch you, Phyllis, to take over. Now, you, you got, you've got you seen me in action as a project leader, so the benchmark was was not that high, but, but I have to say you did a wonderful job, and it was really great, you know, again, bringing all this talent together to be really focused about the, the outcome, to remind people of why they were there, and to really translate it into action that can drive the marketplace, that people can really learn from. And, uh, you know, really kind of rally around these ideas is, is really something special to be a part of. So it's, it's great to be a, a part of your team now, Phyllis, and to watch uh, watch the progress here. So with that, that, that ends our episode for this time out. It's really been uh, 
Uh, great to talk about version 8. Again, this has been a couple years plus in the making and a lot of great feedback. You know, we, we collect feedback from day zero. And so, as Phyllis said, we're already collecting ideas and you know, thoughts about what, what might be next. We're watching the world, right, as we all are. To, uh, what, how is the world of, uh, of IT going to change? And, uh, you know, the, the role that the controls play is, re is really something that we take very seriously and that we are committed, you know, at, at CIS to doing a, a continued great job and uh, supporting all the folks who are counting on us every day to help them improve their security. So with that, thank you all very much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll have one more episode um, talking a little bit more uh, specifics in the controls about measurement and so forth in our next episode. But with that, thank you, Randy. Thank you, Phyllis. It's a pleasure. Thank and you. we hope you enjoyed the discussion. And remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow CIS on social media for the latest cybersecurity news and updates. Until next time, I'm Tony Sager. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.